Well, good morning. Wow, good morning. All right. I wasn't sure if I was going to get feedback, and I got a couple, so I thought I'd ask for more. Uh, my name is Nathan McCallum. Uh, I'm a small group leader here at Journey, and so I just wanted to, uh, to take some time just to encourage us this morning from God's Word. Um, if you're a guest today, um, I just want to basically thank you for coming and also uh, just ask you to, uh, to bear with us in some ways. Last week, this week, they're, they're heavy days uh, in the life of our church. And so, uh, in case you didn't know, last week, Dan announced his resignation after 12 years serving as our pastor here at Journey Church. And so, for most of us, over the last week, we felt kind of a wide range of emotions. Uh, like, for me, Dan has been literally a neighbor, like, lived across the street from me at one point uh, for a couple years. Um, Dan, we, my wife and I started serving before we were married in the college ministry that was Journey uh, at Central Baptist Church. Um, and so I've known Dan, I've served alongside Dan pretty much for 14 years. Um, he, I told him this last week, like I am so grateful because no, and my dad's a pastor and I'm sure he would if he had the opportunity, but being in, Dan, being in this church, no pastor has fanned into flame a gift that I've got from the Lord that he felt like than him. Like he has been such an encouragement to me. He's given me more opportunities than anybody. And so part of the emotions that, that I feel is both, both a sadness and also just a gratitude for the way that him and his family have loved us, served us, encouraged us in the gospel. And so a lot of us, we're experiencing a wide range of emotions, sadness, gratitude, Many of us are hurting. Many of us are hurting. A few of us are upset. Several of us are frustrated. And all of us probably have questions. And the reality is that these types of emotions are actually natural in a time of transition. So, what I would like to do is just, let's just not pretend today. Can we do that? Can we not pretend like everything's great and that we don't have all of this figured out? Can we not pretend like, man, the Christian walk is no suffering, it's totally fine? Because the reality is it's not. What I'd rather us do is let's take what we feel to the Lord. Let's deal with it together from his word. When I was asked to speak a few days ago, to be honest with you, I was not sure <laughs> what the Lord would have me say. But through prayer, what became very clear to me was not so much what he would want me to say, but who he would want us to see. And what I mean by that is I believe, Jesus, I believe the Father wants us to fix our eyes on Jesus. And specifically, not just Jesus in general, but Jesus' heart. The heart of the shepherd. 
And I think his desire for us, not just today, but even all of life, is to take our heart and let it be impacted by the shepherd's heart. So what I did was I, I didn't really know what to title the sermon. Sometimes titles help bring clarity. So what I did was I just left a blank into the heart of the shepherd. And why do I leave it blank? Well, here's why I think. As I think across the room, we're all feeling different emotions. We're all feeling differently about the situation. You might even be feeling differently now than you were last night. That's just the reality of the human heart. And so for some of you, man, you just know, like I'm running into the heart of the shepherd. Like I know where to go. I know he loves me. I know he's for me. I know he would want me to come to him. And so you're just running into the shepherd's heart. And so what I do, I would challenge you as we go through this, like if you're a note taker, draw a blank in your notes for the title and then think through what I'm saying here to see which one really resonates with you. Are you running into the heart of the shepherd? Maybe some of you, a better verb would be pressing into the heart of the shepherd. And what I mean by that is both, there's an active desire to, to seek him out to, to feel him out, but yet at the same time, there's some darkness. It's kind of a, like I'm, I'm groping towards him. I, I want to find him, and yet I'm, I'm not sure exactly where he's at, so I'm pressing in. But I also know that for a lot of us in this room, just the thought of running or pressing sounds like work, and we're tired. And like for me, man, running into the Lord, pressing into the heart of the shepherd, I just don't know if I can do that. Maybe for you, this church and your sense of reality and what has felt so sure and so stable for so long is shifting. And now for you, you're, you're stumbling. And I would just ask that if that's you, that you would ask the Lord to help you stumble into the heart of the shepherd. And maybe for some of you, it's too late for that. You've collapsed. And if that's you, my prayer is that you would collapse into the heart of the shepherd. And lastly, there may be people here who just are like, I don't even like the shepherd. I don't know the shepherd. I'm here because my spouse brought me, my parents brought me. If that's you, here's what I would encourage you to do is just look. Would you look and see the heart of the shepherd today? So wherever you are, and the reality is like, if I didn't hit where you're at today, keep this in mind as well. You have, if you are not feeling those things, you, if you're a believer in Christ, you have brothers and sisters in this room that do. And Galatians 6.2 would call us to bear up one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So if you're not in that place, brother or sister, it is time for you to still, on behalf of your brother and sister, bear up the burden together. So I've pleaded with the Lord that he would show us his heart today and that it would begin a process of healing and comfort for us. So, if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, 
We're going to be reading, which is the first book of the New Testament. If you're unsure where that is, it's the first gospel account. We're going to be looking at three verses right now. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. This is what Jesus says. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The context of this passage is actually Jesus, I mean, the immediate context is Jesus has just received word from John's disciples, John the Baptist. And they're curious, like, are you the Christ? John's in jail. He's, he's wondering, are you the Christ? Go find out. Jesus sends an encouraging word back to John, but not quite as far as John would want him to go. Didn't say he'd get him out of, of trouble, but just said that he is the Messiah. He is the one from God and that those who who believe in his name will not be ashamed. But then he goes and pronounces judgments or woes on places in which he has gone and done works and they've not repented. They've not believed. And so as you're reading Matthew 11, it would be easy to be like, gosh, this is heavy. This is hard. How could this be encouraging for me? And then we find these words about his heart towards those who are laboring, those who are heavy. If you have an NIV, it would say those who are weary, those who are burdened. And so what I want us to do today is to look at the shepherd's heart. And I think what's important for us is to distill out of that three pivotal aspects of the shepherd's heart. Three pivotal aspects of the shepherd's heart. We're gonna see from Matthew 11, the condition of the heart of the shepherd. What is his heart like? We're gonna see what's the entry point to this heart. How do we engage with it? And then the third thing that we're gonna see is the experience from his heart. When we engage with this heart, what will we experience? Okay, that's, that's where we're headed. Um, so let's look first at the condition of the shepherd's heart. What does he say in verse 11, 29? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. The condition of the shepherd's heart is gentle and lowly. And here's the deal. I think that is a statement. That statement is a balm for our souls today. Many of you, if you grew up in church at all, you have heard this verse for a long time. You may have had it on a poster in a Sunday school room. You may have had it on a, a t-shirt or a coffee cup or whatever. It might, be, it might even be your life verse but the reality is you've read scripture across your life, you'll realize you'll read things that'll hit different depending on the season, depending on the time. And so for a lot of us, we may be like, yeah, I've read this passage before, but for where we are in this season and this time, it might just hit different. 
And for us, we might just need to realize that this is not some theoretical, theological, philosophical idea only, but that as we engage with a heart of a shepherd that's gentle and lowly, it will refresh us. Before we can get into what it means for his heart to be gentle and lowly, though, we need to get into the Jewish understanding of the heart. Because for us in the West and in 2022, the heart is like a part of who we are. You know, we'll say like, my heart yearns for this, or my heart aches, or my heart's happy. That's something my wife says a lot. This makes my heart happy. It usually has to do with all of us being together. Right, mamas? My heart aches. But in the Jewish mindset, the heart wasn't merely the seat of emotion. It was actually what animates all of life. It's the driving force of life for the Jewish mindset. Our men's group is reading through Ephesians, and this past week we were reading Ephesians 1, where Paul prays for the Ephesian church that the, the eyes of their heart would be enlightened. Like we would say probably that our mind would be enlightened. But for the Jews and for a Jewish and first century mindset, the heart was what animated all of life. He wanted the hearts to be enlightened because that would impact the rest of life. And so for us, we have to understand when Jesus says his heart is gentle and lowly, what he's saying is that what animates him is gentleness, lowliness. His heart is animated by those conditions. He is gentle and he's lowly. And I would think if we asked this morning, before we read the text, if I was to ask you, what do you think Jesus' heart is like? What would you have said? I think culturally, in the world, what they might say is, well, I would, I would think Jesus would say, take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I'm judgmental and cold. Or maybe they would say, I'm wrathful and calculating. And some people think he was a great teacher. Maybe they would say, I'm wise and sage-like. But what about the church? What, what do you think you would say? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm sweet and kind. I'm glorious and magnificent. I'm holy and pure. Church, Jesus is glorious and magnificent. He is holy and pure or else we'd be in trouble. He is kind. But when Jesus says this about his heart, he says that he is gentle and lowly. What's interesting, Dave, uh, Dane Ortland wrote a book cleverly titled Gentle and Lowly. And in the book, here's what he says in the first chapter. He says, in the four gospel accounts given to us in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, 89 chapters of biblical text, there's one place where Jesus tells us about his own heart. It's fascinating. One place. Jesus tells us one place about his heart and what he says is it's gentle and it's lowly. So what does it mean for Jesus' heart to be gentle? Well, I can tell you first what it doesn't mean. 
it doesn't mean he's weak. It doesn't mean he's weak. He's strong. He fasted for 40 days in the wilderness. Man, I tried to give up sweet treats for Lent last Wednesday, and by Friday, I was already ordering a marshmallow dream bar at Starbucks, and it was fire. But to be honest, it wasn't because I couldn't do it. I completely forgot. Jesus fasted 40 days, strong. Jesus resisted temptation, and not just for 40 days, for 33 years. Brother is strong. Jesus was whipped within an inch of his life. Jesus sweat drops of blood in Gethsemane. Jesus died on a Roman cross and hung there for six hours. He's not weak. That's not what this means. Sam Alberry says it like this. What the Bible means by gentleness is not the absence of strength, but the application of strength to a tender situation. What the Bible means by gentleness is not the absence of strength, but the application of strength to a tender situation. Look at me, church. It means Jesus applies his strength in tenderness to your weary heart. And how do we know that? Well, in the context of the passage, we see one of the evidences of his gentleness is he offers an exchange of yokes. Well, what is a yoke besides the middle of an egg? What a yoke is, is typically a wooden uh, piece instrument that would be put on the back of an oxen, a wooden frame on multiple oxen that would help them carry and pull a heavy load. And because this is an agrarian society, they would understand as well that there's a metaphor in that day between the yoke of an oxen and the yoke of a teaching of a rabbi or a specific sect. So the, the teachings of the Pharisees could be considered a yoke, okay? And so what Jesus is saying is that you, I want you to exchange the yoke of these religious leaders for my yoke. Now, why would we do that? Well, besides the fact that he's God, let's look at Matthew eleven thirty. What does he say? For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, if you know much about Matthew, you might be like, come again? Because I remember in the Sermon on the Mount, which has already happened in Matthew, you said things like, Hey, hey, you know how the law says, do not murder? Well, I say, if you harbor hate towards a brother or sister, you're already guilty of murder. That doesn't sound easy. Hey, hey, you know how the law says you shall not commit adultery? Yeah, yeah, what I say is that when you look at a woman lustfully in your heart, you've already committed adultery in your heart. I don't sound light. 
What does he mean that his yoke is easy and his burden is light? He means this, that his yoke is easy and he doesn't weigh us down with extra rules and regulations. He calls us to walk with him by faith. And then this is the key. He gives us the Holy Spirit to actually be able to obey and transform our lives. So one way in which Jesus is shown to be gentle just in this passage alone is that he is calling us to exchange the heavy yoke of self-salvation and get underneath his yoke that will not wear us down. It's a easy yoke. It is a non-burden burden. That's what he says. And he calls us to submit to his way, a way that is gentle and a way that in his strength, he empowers us through his spirit to actually follow him. He's gentle, but he's not just gentle, he's lowly. What does that mean? Some of your translations may say he's humble because that's another way to, to, uh, to interpret this Greek word. It's used eight times in the New Testament and it's usually translated either lowly or humble. And so what does it mean for him to be humble? There's a little bit of crossover with gentle, but also there is a little bit additional in this idea of him being lowly. And here is what is crazy. When you look at the New Testament, when you read things like Colossians 1, that he is preeminent, that in Jesus, all things hold together, that he holds together all things. If you look at Hebrews 1, it says that, that the universe, like the very fact we're in this room, the universe is upheld by the word of his power. This is the Jesus that at the exact same time says, I'm accessible, I'm approachable, I'm lowly, I'm not too lofty for you. I am lofty, but not so much that I can't also be lowly. I'm approachable. So what Jesus is saying about his heart what animates his life, what stirs him up, what stirs up the heart of the shepherd and drives his actions is gentle and lowly towards weary and broken people. And right now, in this room, there are weary and broken people. And it might not even be in regards to this season we are in as a church. It could be things going on in your family it could be things going on at school. It could be things going on in your job. It could be money situations. It could be the weight of the devastation of our world. Or it could be, like in the context of Matthew 11, that you are weary of trying to live up to some religious moral benchmark just to make God pleased with you. Whatever is weighing you down, church, Whatever's weighing you down today, brothers and sisters, Jesus says, I will receive you and give you a lighter yoke, 
a way that will empower you, that I can empower you to follow. And I'll do that because I'm gentle and lowly in heart. So how do we actually, I mean, that sounds like an attractive heart, right? How do we actually engage with that heart? Well, he shows us, he says in verse 11, 28, how do we enter the shepherd's heart? He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, who labor and are heavy laden, come to me. Jesus says that the way into entering a healing encounter of his heart with our heart is simply to come to him. There's no secret passwords. There's no prayer that you need to say exactly right, like some incantation. No, you just come to him. Come to me. Well, what does it mean to come to Jesus? Well, if you just look within the context of Matthew 11, I think we get a little bit of a clue. Look what he says in Matthew eleven twenty. This is actually what he says. This is what Matthew says about him. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done. Why? Because they did not repent. Coming to Jesus means that you are agreeing that you need him. It's an act of repentance. See, the people in the towns that he denounced, it's not because they were unable to access Jesus' heart because he wouldn't allow it. They couldn't access his heart because they were turned away. They were turned away from him. Repentance is a turning to God. And so what Jesus is saying is the way you come to me is to turn towards me to come and let me heal you. To come to him means not just turning, it means repenting and seeing him for the beauty and glory and majesty and wonder that he is. And when you come to Jesus with a weary and burdened heart, you will encounter the shepherd's gentle and lowly heart. Is there something in your life that you're struggling to turn over to Jesus today. Like you wanna come to him, but you know that that means repentance. Now hear me, it doesn't mean you have to clean yourself up before you come to him. But you know that when I come to him, he's gonna meddle. He's gonna get all up in my business. And maybe for you, You want to live life the way you want. You want that secret sin. And you know, like, man, I want to come to you, Jesus, because this sin is weighing me down, but I kind of like it better. Maybe you're afraid of what he'll ask you to give up if you come to him. Maybe you're afraid of what he's going to ask you to do. Maybe you're harboring bitterness towards someone and you know that he's gonna cultivate that and bring that out. 
maybe that person's in this room. And maybe you don't want to come to Jesus because you don't want to have to reconcile with the person he's calling you to reconcile to. What is holding you back from truly coming to Jesus and encountering the healing balm of his gentle and lowly heart? So now the the question at hand is, if we come to Jesus acknowledging our need for him and our desire to be with him and to find in him a heart and disposition that is gentle and lowly, what will we actually experience from that shepherd's heart? What will be the result of us engaging with his heart? Well, let's reread 11, 28, and 29. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. What will we experience when we come to Jesus and engage with his heart? Rest for your souls. Show of hands. Anybody in here today physically tired? I mean, we lost an hour of sleep last night, but don't worry, we'll find it again. It'll just be in November. So if you can hang on for eight more months, you'll get that hour back. When my wife and I had Brooks, who's now five, um, when he was a baby, I remember we would look at sleep like Gollum looks at his ring. Like, my precious, <laughs> he's asleep, it's time to nap. And, and families, if, if you don't have kids yet, wait, if you're pregnant, I, I will not be offended if you sleep it during this sermon. Catch all the sleep ahead of time that you can. But here's the thing about being physically tired. You can catch up. It may take six months, that's what it was. We don't even remember the first six months of his life. We're just grateful that when we woke up, he was still there. It could take six months. It could take a year. You may hate everyone that lives under your roof and people that look at you in public. But eventually, you catch up. Eventually, you regulate, right? Maybe not in a day, but you regulate. But here's the deal. What if you're exhausted in your soul? What if you're exhausted in your soul? Some of you are like, when I don't get sleep, I am exhausted in my soul. <laughs> and that's true. That's the beauty of God's design for sleep. But no matter how much sleep you get, you cannot fix soul exhaustion. You work to please God or to please others, and you just don't think you can make it another day. What would it actually look like to get that rest in your bones? down into the deepest part of who you are. Look at me, family. Jesus wants to give you that rest. He wants to give you that rest. That's his heart 
for you. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest from trying to earn my approval because I will give it to you by faith in my work, not your work. Rest from constantly shipwrecking your life, thinking that your way is always better. Rest from heartache and pain in your gut as the world and suffering beat you down. Go to him. Go to the shepherd's heart and find rest. He will not withhold from you. What's more, he not only offers rest, but he offers healing and hope. If you skip a few verses, Jesus then goes from this comment and he him and his disciples are walking along the way. They're grabbing, it's, it's on Sabbath. They're plucking grain, eating grain, which drives the Pharisees crazy. And then he goes into the synagogue and they, there's a man with a withered hand and Jesus heals the man's hand and heals the man and, the, and the, the Pharisees are so upset with him that they basically are like, we gotta kill this dude. He's ruining everything. And here's what he says. This is what Matthew says in verse 15 after that. He says, Jesus, aware of this, their desire to kill him at this time, withdrew from there and many followed him and he healed them all and ordered for them not to make his name known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, quote, behold, this is Isaiah, centuries before Christ. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved one, with, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not break quench until he brings justice to victory and in his name the Gentiles will hope and I just love those images a bruised reed he will not break what is a reed it's basically a grain stalk and oftentimes was found in marshes or in wetlands. And you can just imagine people coming in and out of the water, stepping on the reeds, brushing against the reeds, dragging boats across some reeds. Like these reeds are bruised. And the, the Greek word translated here, bruised, oftentimes can also mean crushed. Anyone in here feel bruised and crushed? Anyone in here feel bruised and crushed? Jesus says, when you come to me, I won't break you. It's beautiful. A smoldering wick he will not quench. 
probably even more vivid of an image than the other. We all love candles, fireplaces, and this image is of a wick of a candle that maybe at one point was blazing. And now it's the, the faintest little flicker. A fire that was raging in the fireplace is now like one little ember in the back, barely lit. A wick, barely flickering. And Jesus says, if that's you and you come to me, I will not snuff you out. We have hope. We have hope when we engage with the shepherd's heart. He is the hope of the nations. That's what, that's what 1221 says, the Gentiles, the nations. He's the hope of the nations. And think about it, if he's big enough and powerful enough to be the hope of nations and people groups, and yet is gentle and lowly enough to say, come to me, I will not break you, I will not quench you, I will not snuff you out. Man, we've gotta engage with that heart because he's powerful enough to bring healing and hope. Will you come to him? Many of you here feel like this. You are bruised, you're battered, your flame that once was hot and, and bright is now a tiny flicker, fighting the feeling that you could be extinguished at any time. Feeling like if someone walked by you even remotely briskly, you'd be put out. Brothers and sisters, if that's you, Jesus sees you. He sees you and he loves you. He loves you. He will not break you. He will not snuff you out. And in his time and in his way, when you come to him, he will mend you. If you are a bruised and crushed reed in his way and in his time, he'll make you upright again. He will fan the flame of your smoldering wick into a fire again. And he'll do it all while being gentle with you. As we close, I want to read one more time the words of our Savior. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light.
what will you do with Jesus' heart? For a non-believer in the room, if you would not identify as someone who follows Jesus, the call to you today is to lay down your efforts of self-salvation and come to Jesus. Let him give you rest from laboring for your own salvation and trust his work on your behalf. For the Christian, for my brother or sister in this room who's hurting and who's weary, Jesus' call to you today is to interact with his heart. However you can get there. Running, pressing, stumbling, collapsing. How you can get there. Get there. Get there. Come to him and allow him to soothe your soul with the rest that he offers and the hope that he brings. Look, we make messes in life. Even Christians do. And the Lord likely won't take the shortcut to fixing all of our mess. But he will heal you. And he will do it in a wise and gentle way. And lastly, for the leadership in this church, for the different teams that will be seeing us through on this transition, on top of what you need personally and the healing that you need in your heart, I want you to know that Jesus is also calling you to press into him over the coming days and months as you establish transition plans for the good of our church, as you're trying to listen to the spirit and to work those things out, also know that you can rest in Jesus's love for his church. It's not all up to you. Take heart in his gentle and lowly heart for his bride, the church whom he loves. What will you do with Jesus' heart? Because I know what he wants to do with yours. Let's pray. Father, we are desperate for you to engage us where we are. How merciful you are to seek us out in our pain, in our heart hurts, in our questions, in our doubts, in our fears, and in our anxieties. 
How gracious you are in giving us a local body of believers to bear one another's burdens. And how gentle you are to call us to yourself. Take the heavy load of self-salvation off our backs and give us your grace and your spirit to empower obedient and transformed lives. Will you work healing and hope into us now by connecting our heart to yours and the person and the name above every name, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, if you came in, you noticed that we are taking communion today. Um, if you are, uh, there's these up front uh, are, have the cup of juice, which is covered, but underneath the cup, there's two cups together. Underneath the cup is uh, the, the bread uh, that if you were Baptist, you're like, oh, this is the bread I grew up on. If you're COVID, COVID uh, sensitive or concerned, there are the COVID packs in the back with the wafer, uh, the, with the double peel. So those are in the back. Up front is, uh, is more of like a two cup deal. But here's the deal about communion. Here's the deal why I think they wanted us to take it today. I like to think I know, is that there's a certain unity that happens around the bread and the cup. We're united across all time, all cultures, with God's people for centuries who have done this. So there's a, a unity within the capital C church. But there's also a unity that can happen here. And there's a healing that can happen as we remember what Christ did for us. And so what I would want to do today is encourage you, if, you know, if you're just checking Christianity out, if you're not a believer, this is something that God has instituted for his family, his children to partake in. So I would ask that you would just reflect on, on the heart of Christ. But if you have professed faith in Christ, would you take communion with us? But before we do that, before we do that, we wanna make sure that we're taking it in a way that honors the Lord. And so if, if there's something you need to resolve with the Lord, if there's something you need to resolve with someone else in this room, if there's someone, something you need to resolve with someone not in this room, family or a friend and you need a text, would you do that? Rachel's gonna play as we deal with the Lord. And when you are ready to come and take the elements and then I will lead us in that. Matthew chapter 26. Verse 26 says, now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. 
And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Amen. Let's sing about how deep the Father's love is for all of us.